I'm Dr. Jason Kessler. Years ago, I learned something that wasn't really news at all. I learned that there's not a single person that you will ever meet that you can't learn things from. In this podcast, I interview people from all walks of life and determine what we can together learn from them. This is the Professor Anyone podcast. My guest professor today is Dave Peterson. Uh, Dave is 70 years young. He's a retired engineer who has just recently gone back to the workforce. Uh, and he is an old friend. And I'm so glad to have him on the podcast today. Dave, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Jason. Good to see you again. I'd like you to tell me about a goal that you've achieved and one that you're still working on. My goal at this particular age is getting out of bed in the morning. But... <laughs> But to, you know, to just live a good life and stuff like that. And I just, that's, all, that's what I want to continue to do. Have my, you know, my children and grandchildren. And that kind of keeps me focused on everything. And as far as goals and everything, my goal is just to live a good life and be a good person. That's my goal in life. That's what I aspire to. Tell me a story, something that happened to you, something maybe from your childhood or from when you were very young that you think really shaped who you are today. Actually, I could probably go with eighth grade English teacher was uh, Mr. Gilbert. He, he totally changed my life when he taught us how to do the English language and, and saw the, the way that he, that way he instructed his kids. It was just amazing. It made me want to read. Of course, I've always read, but, you know, when I hit that stage, and I, I was reading encyclopedias and stuff like that. So, and it was because of him that I, that I did that because he wanted you to learn. He wanted you to understand the language. And that actually changed my whole perspective on life. And in the eighth grade, that's, in adolescence, that's actually pretty profound. Tell me a specific story, something that happened on a particular day or something that, that this teacher did for you specifically that really exemplifies that for us. Back in the eighth grade, they used to have those uh, machines where they'd dim the lights down. They'd run the words across the top of the room there. Hmm. Do, you ever, do you remember those? Did like you a, like the film strip or yeah like well it was like it was like a it was like a uh, um, like a slide projector, but they would run stories across the top of the thing and they'd do it at certain speeds to teach you how to to teach how to read and how to process information. You know he'd run it like sixty yes. words a minute, you know, and, and we see it. He was he's he was always on you. You know he go and I go me and he go not me you. You know and he always he just the way the way that he uh, bantered with us. We were in there one day and. He used to crank it up to it would go to 1,200 words a minute. So at the, about four minutes in the end of the class, he would crank that thing up for 1,200 words a minute and then test us on it. So testing you on the content of what you read at yeah. 1,200 oh, yeah. words a minute? Yeah, comprehension, you know, the whole thing, wow. you know, what you do now. And we were getting up in the 90 percentile and everything. And, and yeah, oh, yeah, everybody that in my eighth grade class that I know this day to this day can read like that because of him. And the interesting thing was, and I thought, well, why does he do this? You know, and then one day we, he was actually running one that I had, that we had done before. I don't know if that was on purpose or not, but I realized I've, we've read this already. You know, so I'm sitting there and I'm sitting there and I look up and I look up around my classmates and they're all doing this at 1200 words a minute. And he is sitting up there on his, he had a stool that he'd set in the back that was up a little higher. And he was sitting up there and he was just watching us. And just the fact that he had all of our heads moving, and I realized at that time that he was doing it on purpose. This was his, this was his thing, and that just—I'm just thinking, wow! Now that's control. 
everybody when they came in that class, they were changed. And, and it was for the good because it was the English language, and that's always been real important. There's a lot of skills, I think, that you know you were taught in school and I was taught in school that aren't necessarily being taught anymore. It's not like kids can't learn them if they want to, but more than just cursive. Which they and, haven't been teaching you lately. Which, yeah, which they... Because it, 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 promotes, it promotes connective thinking. Cursive does. Yeah. And I also think that the reason that they don't teach it now is because it, since the Constitution is written in Old English curses, <laughs> that at some point in time that these generations won't be able to read it themselves and know what it means. So they'll just say, well, this is what it means, and you won't be able to read it yourself and know that that's know the words that are actually used in it. The original, the original document you wouldn't be able to read, but now all the text is, you know, you can just Google it online and you can find it. <laughs> yeah, but who's, who's, who's providing you that text? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then the kids keep getting further and further away from it. Like the King James original version had like 1,400 words in it, 1,400 different words or so, and now got the new version with only 300 words. And I'm, I'm kind of thinking, wow, I kind of miss a little bit there, you know. It, it feels dumbed down. It is. Yeah. It is. But I, I actually think that, you know, being able to read at that speed in a classroom with other people and everything, I think that that makes your mind process things better. When you can, we can read something and you process that information at a much faster rate than they do it now when they talk to you real slow. The nice thing about that method is, you know, you can start it at a slower speed and you build it up. And that's how you build the skill is you just gradually... And there's a lot of skills you could say like that. Even, uh, you know, when you talk about learning music, it, most people will learn songs by slowing them down and figuring out the pieces and then speeding it up. And that's the other thing, you, you know, both of us being musicians, being in a band together, you don't really know a song until you played it 50 times, mm -hmm. where it becomes muscle memory and becomes a part of it and stuff like that. One of the things that I still do today, if I want to learn a song, it's about 50 times. I mean, I can really rip it, you know, and do that, but until I actually go through and play it, but I, never, I actually never slowed things down when I wanted to learn them. <laughs> you just go with the regular speed? Yeah, because yeah. I always wanted to play it in time, because I figured that if, yeah. that if you slowed it down... Then when you come around to learn it again, you'd be going, eh, and again, you know, you'd be playing 48, you'd be playing at 48 beats a minute, what actually goes at 144. So, and I just thought that was not conducive to the process. One of my kids' music teachers once said, you don't practice to learn to play it right. You learn to, you practice so that you can't play it wrong. I, it seems I can understand that method. That's why you practice. Mm -hmm. But, and that, that's the other thing, like, with, like, written music and stuff like that, you and I have played enough to know that uh, you got to make compromises. You know, you don't have oh, the yeah. whole instrument, you don't have the girl singers in the background and everything, but you still have to make it recognizable and still have to grasp those key elements that are essential to getting your message across, which is like the English thing did, my teacher and stuff like that, because there were cert just certain words that you can just, you can say a word or just a phrase that references, like, even Shakespeare or something like that, and everybody knows, you know, or a person that has heard it before. You know, it gets, gets the inflection or the, the relationship right. to what's relevant now. I just don't think there's enough of that going on. You and I are both musicians. We played in a band together for a while. But we have, and I think every musician has a different story about how we became involved in music and what drove us and created our passion for music. Tell me a little bit about how you got started in your interest in, in learning music. Well, I always liked it. And in elementary school, we had chorus and choir and band and stuff like that, and I really wasn't much of a singer in the fifth grade. <laughs> but they had instruments, and they just offered them, and I actually started playing the cello back in the fifth grade, played it till 
the eighth grade when somebody handed me summer of 1966. <laughs> a couple of guys that were my age says, hey, can you play one of these? And handed me a bass. And I went, yeah. And then when we went back to school, Franklin Junior High School, <laughs> and actually played a, played a show at the end. They used to have them on Friday nights in the school cafeteria. And we, I, we had to suck, I'm telling you, because <laughs> looking back on it now, you know. But uh, do you remember what you played? Oh, yeah, I played Bully Bully, played uh, Louie Louie, played, uh, oh, yeah, we used to do Stepping Stone, used to do the Monkees, yeah. used to, all the stuff that they play in the change job, I was actually, because we didn't have, we didn't have a record player or anything, but they had a, had a transistor radio. You remember those little RCAs with the, oh, yeah. with the one little earpiece? Mm -hmm. Well, back then, they used to play the same 40 songs, like every hour, pretty much. <laughs> they still do that. They're yeah. just a different 40 songs. Yeah, yeah, yeah true. <laughs> But the fact is, I, I would just put my earplug in my in my left ear and then plug my bass into the amp, and then I would play the songs. I'd just play them over and 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 over, you know, and which I still do now. But the best tool I found as far as learning stuff was uh, if you have a DVD player and you have an A and B, you know, where you can isolate a section. Oh. Yeah, you, yeah. Play, you can play CDs in there, and you can get to a part that you learn, and you go A, B, and then hit on repeat, and you sit there and you play. And it just keeps going back to that, going back to that, going back to that until you get it. And then you hit the, and you let it play through, and then you go on to the next part. That was one of the things that helped me a lot. You've played a lot of music over a lot of years. How many songs do you think you could just play offhand if you... If I had to? If you had to. Well, I don't know. A couple of hundred, actually. Okay, sure. <laughs> Keep them simple. Maybe a thousand. You know, I don't know. Hmm? It just, I mean, I wouldn't play them correctly, <laughs> you know. But I could, I could give you, I could get, I'd get through most of them. A lot, of a lot of bands in this town play the same songs. The same, they've been playing the same 40 songs for the last 40 years. So, <laughs> yeah, guilty. Yeah, well, <laughs> and, I, and I've been guilty, too. You know, but now I don't have to be. You know, I, I mean, when I was in Chicago, we played what we wanted to play. That's one thing I learned. You know, I, mean, I was with the same guys for 19 years. You know that. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and you get to the point where it just becomes like family. If you're playing songs you love and you're playing them with people you like, that is the only way you can actually be good. I mean, you can have the, you know, they have the cellists and everything that come out of the symphonies and stuff. Those guys are just, <laughs> yeah, never be one of those. But I never aspired to be. But you can do that and you start thinking the same way and you start having patterns for like rehearsals and stuff. Like, I mean, we had, we had a pretty good rehearsal pattern. Mm -hmm. You know, we go learn our songs, come in and play, and that's how it's done. I think, I think life is like that. I think life is like that. You know, when the song sounds the best and is the best when you're playing songs that you like with the right people. Mm -hmm. That applies to music and that applies to life. Yeah, absolutely. That especially in a reaction in life, even like you go out in public and then you people will key on you. I think I think people do have their energy, and I think that people can sense that if they if they're not you know overcome by their own despair. I don't know. <laughs> that happens too. Uh, well, I know that happens too. I'm not laughing at. It. I'm just saying yeah. that it's sometimes those people will seek you out if they feel a strength in you or something like that. I found that too that people who you know are in despair or something or have are attracted have been in some cases in my life attracted to me in that way that to be to help them and i feel compelled to do it can can you give me an example uh, i had a friend of mine had an autistic son that yeah, that used to i used to work with mm -hmm. and that kid just for some reason he looked at me and he just came up and he would just put his hand up you know rest his head on my shoulder and stuff like that and that was but he felt that and i felt his energy too you know i think that's i think that's a thing that we all have I think society does its best to suppress that in us and fill it with their own little bag of things. But no, I think it's just, you can open it. And you can do that with anybody. Even sometimes just 
sometimes just I've walked down the street in Chicago and stuff and you see a homeless person or you see somebody that, yeah, that is in despair or anything like that. And they look up at you and you look at them and you lock out because they're looking, they're searching. And you look at them and you just look at them and you have smile and you nod and you acknowledge their existence. And I have seen people do that where they just, they pull themselves up and they, you know, it doesn't change them forever, but it gives them that moment of here's another human being recognize me as being a human being and not judging me. And I, I see that a lot in people. I think that's another place where people and life and, and music, there's a parallel there. Oh, yeah. Where, you know, the right song at the right time can make a huge difference in how somebody feels. Yeah. Sometimes when I feel down, I don't feel great, I want a happy song to lift me up. And sometimes, that's not, I don't want a happy song. I want a song that mirrors the way I'm feeling. Hmm because that's what brings me comfort. Mm -hmm. And I think that is something that we see in people too. There are people who make us happy, and sometimes when we're not feeling the joy of life, there are certain people that we gravitate towards, and sure. those people that can make us happy or can, can bring happiness or joy. But sometimes we just want somebody to commiserate with. Yep. We want somebody who's feeling the same way that we are, and we can sit and talk about what's happening. And you can do that with random strangers. You know, because people will, when you can find the key that opens, that, that turns that little switch in there where, you know, you can find a mutual interest or something. And as a musician, it's easy for me. Mm -hmm. You know, because like, like right now I've got my musician, person who loves $5,000 worth of equipment into their <laughs> car, drives 100 miles to make 50 bucks. That's a shirt I have on right now. And I wear that to work. I was, I just, I was last week or something, I was out there and the guy goes, I love your shirt and you want to take a picture of it and stuff like that. <laughs> so I went over the table and everything. I was talking to him and stuff. And he said, well, what do you play? And I said, I play bass. And the guy said, well, I play bass too. And then the other guy played drums and then the other had a guitar player and everything. But the guy that, one of the guys sitting at the table was actually the sound guy at the Civic Center. Oh. He runs all the sound there and everything like really? that. So we got to talking and stuff like that. And, and actually, I'm going to hang out with these guys. Because nice. the bass player guy says, yeah, I just laid down a track. And I said, well, I like to check that out. You know, but the, for me, that's like said, a little easier. You retired from your career, but you recently went back to work. Tell me a little bit about your decision to go back to work and how it's worked out for you. Well, my, my daughter, her husband's brother that runs this place, things are getting a little more expensive every day. <laughs> and, uh, and I'm on a fixed income. She goes, she goes, Todd needs someone because somebody had quit. And she said, it'd be perfect for you. And I said, well, if he wants to try it. The first week was pretty rough. I haven't done anything for 12 years, you know. And let alone be, let alone be in a high-speed business where you're doing most of your business in a two-hour, doing service to 300 customers in a two-hour period. We each have different skills. And everybody has a certain way to do things. But now we're working as a team. There's a rhythm. We had a great Friday. That's what the Friday's usually our busiest day, busiest day. I said, well, it wasn't compared to two Fridays ago. It was terrible. <laughs> you know, people were backed up and everything. But we worked together. You just got to, that's why I told Todd, I said, sometimes adversity was what makes a, forms a team. And now it just, it seems everybody has their rhythm. Every, everybody realized what everybody else is good at and they help them and they enhance. And it just builds teamwork. And adversity will do that. And that's, that's the other thing about like the band thing that I always found. One night on stage is worth a month in the basement because there's no, there's no turning around. There's no going back. And you get out there in front of an audience and you humiliate yourself. You sure as hell don't want to do that again. <laughs> you and I both know that. Oh, yeah. Workplace teams can be a lot like a band. Oh, yeah. Because when it gels, it gels. But it oftentimes takes a lot of work to get you to that point. When a day goes well, when a team is working well together, there's really nothing quite like it. And when a band is working well together and sounding good, there's really nothing quite like nope. it. And I think I think a lot of the thing that, that, for me anyway, is that I try to do is I try to put aside all my own preconceived notions or prejudices about things. Mm. 
You know, I mean, yeah. I, I know I know what I'm capable of and I know what I'm good at, but that doesn't mean that I can push that on somebody else. That's one, one guy who worked with his big things. Well, you got to do it like this. Uh, no, I don't <laughs> because they don't work for me that way, you know, and then you find a better way to do it. And I think that uh, whenever you have new people in that, that I think it should be an improvement. One time I offered to do something for him because, no, I want to do it. I said, okay. And I just let him do it. But then if you look back on it, you realize that people let me do it because I had the time to do it. And I was, it's one of the things that I normally do that he could have gone over and done what he normally did. And he didn't have to waste, you know, when you're pushing out a sandwich every 75 seconds, have a lot of time to do things, but that he could have, he could have prepared two sandwiches and I could have just laid the stuff right up there when he needed it. And I could have put it away and we just kind of went on going. That's how you discover a smooth process is by going through different versions of the process Mm -hmm. and different people learning different pieces and learning which pieces maybe are better, better off done by somebody else. Yep. And which pieces are better off done by me, which pieces are, you know, done by me. That's that's how you create a process. And Mm -hmm. it takes time. That's how you create a song. It takes time and it takes repeating the process and changing things a little bit here and there till you get to till it gets harmonious. It gets best. Well, as Freud said, we stumble from error to error, to discover the entire truth. So and that's what life is like. That reminds me of one of my favorite quotes from Thomas Edison speaking about how long it took him to to get the light bulb. He said, I never failed in inventing the light bulb. I just discovered 10,000 ways to not do it. <laughs> well, and that's something that when, when, we, when I got your notice and started talking about this, that how people can teach you something, how you can learn something from people. Yeah. Like a majority of things is what people will teach you is what not to do. Sure. You know, and that is, and that, that is, that is more essential than I think gets a lot of credit for. So they taught me something, saved me pain, you know, anything like that. That's just but as valuable. That's just yeah. as valuable. That's just as valuable. Absolutely. And that comes easy. <laughs> that's the, you probably get more of that thing else I would think. Well, you know, so I'm a physician, went through medical school and residency, and a big part of medical school and residency is is working with and following around other doctors, yep. people who've been there, who are who are doing you know some of the same things you'll be doing and some things that you won't be doing, and you have to learn habits from them, and you learn good habits and you learn you learn bad habits, so you learn what to do and you learn what what not to do Uh, and we learn from each other's mistakes and that's that's as valuable as learning from each other's successes yeah sometimes i think like i said it's it's the duality of man both sides of the coin that i think i think that they're in balance for the most part watching somebody that you don't know do something that you know you're never going to do is much easier (laughs) than actually engaging them tell me about a lesson that you learned from an unexpected source from my grandkids I get a lot from my children, my grandchildren. Sometimes I think they're like playing it back to me, you know, because I do try to program them. <laughs> you know, like Nixon, my uh, grandson Nixon, Sarah, Sarah was driving in the car with him and Maddie, and she texted me, says, yeah, an eagle flew over. I said, Nixon looked at him and says, I can smell the freedom, yes. you know, and that's just, and Maddie's the same way too, you know, because we talk about things, her being 11. But I try to be, you know, as, as forward, as straightforward about things as I can. They face every day expecting something new. And I think adults should do that too. They inspire me to do that, you know, because everything's new for them. The thing that I enjoy the most is their laughter. There's nothing like child laughter. Agree. Well, we had a, we sit out and we had a porch in the back, but there was an elementary school a couple blocks over, but it was on the same, it was on the same height as ours because we were at the top of the hill. Mm-hmm. And you go out there and you just hear these kids at playtime and just laughing. And to me, that just, it just, there's nothing like it. True music of, the infinite, or children's laughter, mm-hmm. I think it's at least part of it. 
But I think every, you know, I think every sound and everything, every note is a note in the symphony of an infinite. We just have to listen to it. As you said earlier about a song, you know, that, that particular fix, it's going, there's a soundtrack to your life that goes on all the time. It's whether or not you choose to listen to it or not or hear it. Yeah, it's not just notes and harmony and rhythm that are music. No. It is children laughing. It is the wind blowing through the trees. It is birds singing. It is the humming of machinery sometimes. Yeah. Well, that, when I was doing manufacturing, that's what I, I really loved that, that, you know, because they had all this machine running. They're running, you know, mm -hmm. 2,400 cans a minute, and you've got, you know, miles of conveyor and all these machines that go, you know, making the sounds and everything like that. And you could sit there, and if you listen, and they just kind of freaked like the, some of the maintenance guys and stuff. I'd be sitting there, I'd be going, up. Oh, Better go over there. I think the box. I think the box maker's down. Go, why don't you think that? Because I didn't hear it. Because an instrument had dropped out of the thing. But when it was running, it was just, mm, you know, like that. And one time when we were out on the porch, Crystal was singing. One time she was singing. I said, "Hold on." I said, "Can you sing just a little slower?" And she goes, "How slow?" So I count out for her, and she starts singing. It was a. She was in tune with the crickets. You could tell, and then she could hear it. Mm -hmm. And then you could hear the other thing. So she was actually singing with the crickets. She was just singing too fast. And she slowed it down a little bit, and then everything was harmonious. You know, the owl, the owl hooted at the right time and stuff like that. And I think that goes on all the time. I just think that people are not aware of it. I sometimes think that they have too much. They're listening to things in their own head, and it's drowning out the sounds of, of the infinite. That's a, I, I truly believe that. The sounds of the infinite. Well, I actually call it the symphony of the infinite. Okay. Every every, It's like every breath is worship, you know, every sight of vision and every sound, a perfect note in the symphony of the infinite. That's my little thing. Is that from something, or is that your concept? My concept. I've tried to look it up, and nobody said it, so I figure okay. I'm good, right? Okay. <laughs> but I had a guy come to my door one day, and I don't know if, I met, if I'd met Jesus, if I talked to Jesus today. <laughs> so I kind of I talked to him about that, and then after I said that, he just left. Because I said, you know, and every sound is symphony of the infinite, and then the crickets and everything went, mm, actually got louder. And everything, and he goes, okay, well, bye. I said, thank you, you know. <laughs> it's very poetic that the symphony of the infant but it, i mean it's philosophical and it's I yeah like, like every side of, every side's you know every breath is worship because here we are living you know and we didn't do this on our own you know and every sight is a vision you know but every every sound is a note in the symphony of the infant i just i just believe that to be true and that's that's usually why i'm so happy all the time i think because i'm hmm. what is the best advice that you've ever received two things both come from my grandfather if you don't work you don't eat and if things aren't going your way shut up and work harder and that's true and i've actually given that advice to a friend of my mike Tabor, my guitar player from chicago i told him that once because he'd come in he'd bitch about his job you know and he was like so i told him that i said well if things aren't going your way my grandfather told me just shut up and work harder and i told him that and then about two years later he comes in, he goes, man, I talked to your grandpa today. Things were going bad. That, and he says, and I just did that. And he says, everything is fine now. It is good advice. You know, the, the value of hard work in, in terms of productivity, but in terms of how it builds you up. Well, it's purpose. A, a pur purpose. It is purpose. Yes. That's exactly what it is. Work fulfills your purpose. You know, you're not made to just convalesce here and have people bring you stuff. You, you have to contribute. So, Dave Peterson, what is your purpose? What is, what's your motive? What drives you? Everything children i've raised i've got grandchildren that you know i'm on my my clock's ticking still pretty strong here and i'm not in too bad of shape but but yeah i just want to i just want to live fulfill my purpose and that is to spread joy is one of it laugh help people reflect on 
their own things. It's like right to me because like one, I think the best quote I ever had is there is no true wisdom without pain. And I'm about as smart as I want to be, Jason. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, there's going to be pain because there's just there's just things that we don't have control of. But we are in control. I think we're in control as much as we can be. I'm pretty happy with the fact that I'm still alive and <laughs> still have a good life and get to hang with my old friend for a while. Tell me about something that you've done, not necessarily your greatest achievement or, or what everyone's going to remember you by, just something that you feel really good about having accomplished. I don't know. I, th- I think I've got an inner peace, you know, that is hard won, but worth it. Peace inside me I can project and I can share and I can, you know, bring peace to early sanity <laughs> sometimes. Some order to the chaos. What's the hardest thing that you've ever done? That's the hardest thing is I've ever done is something I haven't done. You know, that, you know that, that I felt I should do something and I didn't. They say that those that do nothing against tyranny or something are complicit in it, but there are just some things that you just have to let people do so they can learn. They don't learn from, they don't learn from the guy putting the hand on the stove, you know, no matter how much you tell him, you know, and now they just go, okay, well, go ahead. Ah, you know, and that's my, that's my example. I bet, yeah. I can't remember exactly who said this, but it's one of those quotes that I like. It was something to the effect of, uh, the worst thing that you can do for somebody that you love is to do something for them that they should do themselves. Yep, I agree with that 100%. My girls will tell you that uh, dad didn't raise us, he trained us. And every day, every minute was a lesson. They'll like, they'll do a Daveism because I have these Dave, my little quotes that I do, <laughs> you know. And I go, oh, you got that from dad. You know, so they laugh about it because they were 17 years apart. She even meet till Sarah was like nine. So I had this time to get, you know, time apart from one another. But it's interesting how they are both on the same trajectory. I, that's that's why I get the most gratification from. In fact, and they're teaching their children. Yeah, well, if you don't work, you don't eat. That's, mm-hmm. that's they all got that. And, uh, oh, I don't know. There's just so many. And I usually do it spontaneously. I should actually write them down. Just little things. That, and I steal a bunch of them. You know, some are from Shakespeare and stuff like that, so. But yeah, but they're just, I don't know. I got to be inspired to pop them out. Dave, as we've talked here, uh, a few things that kind of stick out to me is some of the lessons that uh, that we've learned from you and uh, and that in, in life and in music, uh, you can be good by, by playing things that you enjoy, that you like with the right people. And every sound that we hear is a note in the symphony of the infinite. A perfect note, actually. A perfect note. So we're because it wouldn't be that. the symphony of the infinite if it wasn't perfect. Every sound is a perfect note in the symphony of the infinite. Yeah. I love it. You have, through your experiences and through your life, developed an inner peace that you can share. So, Dave, thank you so much for being on the Professor Anyone podcast today. I'm so glad we had the chance to reconnect here oh. and so glad that uh, you came here today to be on the Like I said, I've podcast. always felt welcome here, and it's a, pl- it's a pleasure to see you. And you again, always Jason. will, Dave. No, I really enjoyed being here, Jason. Thank yeah. you. One of my college professors said something to the effect of, if you don't like something that I do, please tell me about it so that I can do better. And if you do like something that I do, tell everybody about it. So for my listeners, please, you know, send me your comments about the program. If you liked it, like it and share it and tell your friends so that everybody can learn from everybody or anybody with Professor Anyone. 